Little Yo Pod, the All Things Yosemite podcast. I'm your host, Laura Jackson, and on today's episode, I wanted to dive into the world of granite domes, one of the most intriguing mysteries of geology and early formation of the Sierra Nevada mountains. Domes are weird. <laughs> they are delightful and unique. They certainly grab our attention, but they are just weird. <laughs> They often seem to jut straight out of the ground with no seeming rhyme or reason attached to them whatsoever. Take, for example, the domes of Tuolumne. In an area near Tenaya Lake, surrounded by trees and granite bedrock of a common elevation, Piwiak Dome suddenly interrupts the landscape, sticking up several hundred feet out of the bedrock like a giant thumb. And I mean, these domes are everywhere. Yosemite has close to 40 prominent domes along the sloping western side of the park. And that includes areas around Yosemite Valley, Hetch Hetchy, Wobona, and Tuolumne Meadows. So if you've not been to Yosemite, you may be wondering what I am talking about. So let's just start with a brief description. Many places in the world with granitic bedrock have big rock features shaped like domes of all sizes. These are usually standalone objects that seem to kind of stick up out of the surrounding area, and they are next to impossible to miss as they're usually pretty huge. So domes are round. Sometimes they are steep, and sometimes they have low angle slabs uh, that allow you to walk up to the top easily. Some domes are shaped symmetrically, such as Sentinel Dome near Glacier Point, and some look like they are missing a Section, like Half Dome, perhaps the most famous rock feature and dome in the world. Then you have domes like Lambert Dome and Pothole Dome near Tuolumne Meadows. Now, those domes are much different than the ones found further west in the park. They have a low angle sloping side that you can walk up that cuts off at a steep and abrupt edge. And this is an important difference to note. How a dome is shaped tells us a lot about the history of an area because domes just don't pop out of the ground in the shape that you see them. They are shaped by weathering, fracturing, and they are even carved by massive rivers of ice called glaciers. When you explore domes in Yosemite, you will find special characteristics and variations on each of them, but Yosemite's domes all have one thing in common. They are composed of the very hard igneous rock granite that formed under the Earth's surface over a hundred million years ago. It was the way they were formed underground that accounts for why they have that unusual round quality. The most important thing to know about granite is that it is formed from molten rock called magma that cools very, very slowly. And that is what accounts for the way the rock fractures and weathers once it hardens and is exposed to the elements. The slower magma cools, the harder it becomes. Yosemite's granite formed when two massive crustal plates under the surface of the earth collided over 200 million years ago. That collision caused one of the plates to dry underneath the other plate and that massive friction melted the material in an area called the subduction zone or in the coastal plate in this instance. So then we had magma, liquid rock, about 25 to 30 miles beneath the earth's surface, really, really deep down there. And that magma was made of uh, ocean crust, which is rich in water. And at that depth of the earth, the ocean crust magma is surrounded by heavier material. The heavier material typically found at that depth is also liquid, but the consistency of really thick liquid plastic. So the lighter magma uh, did what every liquid substance does when surrounded by a heavier substance or a substance that's more dense. It rose up to escape uh, the pressure. And that lighter magma, or the 
ocean crust magma then filled these huge chambers about three to 10 miles below the Earth's surface. And that was the end of the journey of Yosemite's magma for a long time. It sat in the chambers for thousands of years and cooled very slowly. It cooled in a big underground sea that turned into solid granite and then was later pushed up toward the surface of the Earth through millions of years of plate tectonic activity. The Sea of Granite, it's also known as a batholith, was uplifted to the surface where wind, water, and ice eroded the land away until the granite was exposed. So kind of think of like when an infant starts getting its first teeth. So I cannot express the <laughs> enough the importance of the timeline of this process. Probably the most important clue as to how rocks form is due to the length of time they have cooled. <laughs> I know I've said it a million times, but granite cools very slowly. <laughs> The longer it takes uh, magma to cool into solid rock, the more it crystallizes and the harder it becomes. So granite is composed of different minerals with crystalline structures, which means that the atoms in these minerals uh, form symmetrical patterns. The atomic structure of granite, it helps it to develop joints, um, cleavage, or linear weaknesses that eventually split sections of the rock apart. Those weaknesses become apparent when granite breaks through the surface of the earth and is relieved of the enormous pressure that had been bearing down on it when it was miles underground. So just imagine a round sponge in the palm of your hand. Now imagine squeezing that sponge really, really tight and compressing it into a tiny ball. So now imagine opening your hand and watching that sponge expand with the pressure released off of it. The same kind of thing happened when Yosemite's granite was pushed above the Earth's surface. The fractures and weaknesses in the rock broke apart with the release of pressure and then fell away and revealed the dome-shaped rocks underneath. Now, why joints occur where they do is still a mystery, but sheeting joints are responsible for the exfoliation process that gives us the round top domes like Sentinel Dome, Liberty Cap, and North Dome. We just don't know exactly what was going on in the magma chambers when the granite was forming. The dome shape would indicate that the granite cooled in a convex shape with a lot of pressure pushing on it from the sides, which would have pushed the formation up into a conical shaped top and perhaps even pushed the granite down into a conical shaped bottom. So that is one way a dome forms once it is exposed above the surface of the earth, fracturing and exfoliation, peeling away those layers and revealing the shape underneath, kind of like the layers peeling away from an onion. So what about those funny-shaped domes in Tuolumne Meadows then? The ones with the sloping sides and steep edges like Lambert Dome and Pothole Dome. Well, those domes are special because they formed as a product of their direct contact with glaciers. So those domes have a very cute nickname. They're called Roche Motonet, uh, excuse my French, which means sheep back. Um, perhaps it was given by the sheep herders in the Tuolumne region because the domes kind of resemble like little sheep napping in the grass. To give you a better idea of this unusual shape, I want you to make the letter L with your left hand using your thumb and index finger. And then if you just turn your thumb toward the ground, you basically make the shape of Lambert Dome. So just keep that shape in mind while we're talking about it. We don't know um, what these rocks look like before they were overrun by ancient glaciers, but we do know that is exactly how they were formed to the shapes we see the mans today. They were literally run over by glaciers, completely covered by them. Domes shaped by exfoliation, on the other hand, may have had interaction with glaciers, but they were never completely covered up by them like the sheep back domes. Studying these domes reveals a lot about how the glaciers behaved, especially the direction of travel, which is important for understanding 
how a landscape takes shape. Glaciers leave a lot of evidence behind them as they polish the granite on these domes and leave carved grooves called striations from debris trapped between the ice and the rock. There are also these crescent-shaped notches in the rock, sometimes called chatter marks, which show exactly which direction the glacier moved as it pushed whatever larger agent of destruction, like a big rock that it picked up and carried with it against the dome. And speaking of big rocks, we also see evidence of all of the excess debris carried by the glacier on top of domes like Lember and Pothole Domes, and those are called glacial erratics. We know those rocks were dropped there because they're not the same type of granite found in the surrounding area. Um, they were carried sometimes several miles, like maybe even up to 20 miles, before being dropped in their current spot where they remain today. So sheet back domes are great. They're like time capsules of events in natural history, and they even have some souvenirs left behind that give geologists great insight into the ancient past. Plus, they offer great views of the landscape from their easily accessible summits. Okay, so we covered exfoliation domes and domes shaped by glaciers, but what happens when both of these forces come together? Well, then we get crazy, baffling shapes that inspire wonder and awe in all who see them. We get rocks that inspire legends and draw people from every corner of the world. Yes, I am finally talking about Half Dome. You didn't think I would forget to include the most famous dome in the world on the episode about domes, did you? No, of course I wouldn't. But Half Dome deserves its own segment because it was the product of many processes and is still being actively shaped by the forces that gave it its unique appearance. Like its neighbor Sentinel Dome, Half Dome was initially shaped by weathering, erosion, pressure-releasing, fracturing, and exfoliation. But then it has this striking vertical north face that is so prominent it inspired an entire brand of outdoor clothing. (laughs) Half Dome is a force, but despite its moniker, it's only missing perhaps 20% of its original form. The north side was carved away by a glacier, but the glacier that moved down to Nia Canyon in front of Half Dome didn't even reach the summit. It is believed that that glacier reached about halfway up the face of Half Dome, about the height of the subdome. And this was an ancient glacier, not even the most recent glacier period, which ended about 20,000 years ago. The ancient glacier that carved the bottom half of the northwest face of Half Dome occurred over many periods of glaciation hundreds of thousands of years ago, plucking the rock at fracture fracture points and carrying that rock away. And so that left the top of the rock unstable with nothing underneath it, which also fractured vertically, peeling away from the top of the rock and then fell on the glacier and was also carried away. So eventually, the face kind of evened out as we see it, although closer inspection of the rock reveals that it is highly featured and very uneven and continues to be shaped even to this day. In fact, a huge granite sheet peeled off of Half Tome in 2015 and came crashing to the ground, permanently altering the route of the first ascent set by legendary climber Royal Robbins in 1958. This rockfall revealed amazing secrets, including the fact that most of the granite section was completely detached from the rock for a long time, several decades maybe, even when it was first climbed. And it was climbed hundreds of times since then. It literally could have come off any time. So if vertical climbing is not exciting enough for you, you can factor in the flakes and sheets that could come peeling off at any time thanks to factors of erosion and gravity. And it is next to impossible to predict when they will give way. So to answer the question, what happened to the rest of Half Dome? 
Well, some of it exploded into millions of pieces and now sit near Mirror Lake. Some of it ended up in the Merced River. Some of it is the stuff you step on when you walk around Yosemite Valley. And some of it probably end up in the Central Valley of California. Well, I think that's about all I'm going to say about domes for now. If you want to know more about Yosemite's domes, doggone it, go and see one. Domes that are easiest to access in the summer include Sentinel Dome off of the Glacier Point Road and Pothole Dome and Lambert Dome in the Tuolumne Meadows area. Um, Pothole Dome and Lambert Dome are in Tuolumne Meadows area, rather. Also, head to Glacier Point for the best views of Half Dome and the Yosemite High Country, and a little exhibit on the geology of Yosemite is up there as well. If you're interested in Yosemite's geology, the best resource is the book Geology Underfoot in Yosemite National Park by Alan Glasner and Greg Stock, um, and that's where most of the information for today's episode came from. And I will leave a link for that in the show notes, as well as a link for a Nature Notes episode on granite in which both of the authors are featured. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of Little Yo Pod. If you like this podcast and you have one second, please give me a rating. If you have 60 seconds, give me a review. And if you have a few minutes, you can find and follow me on Instagram at Little Yo Pod or reach out to me with any questions or comments by sending an email to littleyopod at gmail.com. This week's listener mail comes from Cheryl Jocelyn from Utah. So Trills reached out to me back in October to say she was heading to Yosemite for her honeymoon and had found little Yopod ahead of her trip. So first of all, congratulations, Trills. That's really hard to say together. I'm so happy for you and great choice for making Yosemite your honeymoon destination. So then she actually wrote me later to say that she started her own podcast and that uh, little Yopod kind of helped inspire her to do that. And so her podcast is about canyoneering. How freaking cool is that? It's called The Canyons Are Calling. And I listened to the episode with filmmaker Justin Pugh about his film First Descent, The Legend of Scott Sweeney. And oh man, you guys, I am obsessed. Canyoneering is so cool. I had no idea. And I didn't even, I mean, I've done a version of canyoneering back when I was climbing um, canyoneering down Yosemite Falls during low uh, water season and uh, I didn't even realize that that's one of like the premier canyons in the country. It's so neat. I would actually have a picture of it that I put up on my Instagram account so you can go there to check it out. Anyway, it's great information if you're interested in canyoneering or just like stories about adventure. I will leave a link for that episode in the show notes and also the trailer for Justin's film which I also bought and watched twice already. So thank you, Cheryls, for opening my eyes to the awesome world of canyoneering and the legend of Scott Sweeney, who is like the coolest dude ever. Okay, so lots of stuff to check out today, so that should keep you busy for a while, and I think I need to wrap this baby up for now. I'm Laura Jackson, as always, thanks for listening, and I will see you in the mountains. Basket Dome, Daft Dome, Dota Dome, Dog Dome, Dozier Dome, Drug Dome, East Cottage Dome, East Quarter Dome, Fairview Dome, Half Dome, Hammer Dome, Harlequin Dome, Hetch Hetchy Dome, Colana Rock, Lamb Dome, Lambert Dome, Liberty Cap, Mary Wallamy Dome, Marmot Dome, Medlicott Dome, Moraine Dome, North Dome, North Wisdom, Polydome, Pothole Dome, Puppy Dome, Piwiak Dome, Star Dome, Scary Dome, Sentinel Dome, South Wisdom, Stately Pleasure Dome, Sugarloaf Dome, Turtleback Dome, Bee Tree Dome, Wavona Dome, West Cottage Dome, West Quarter Dome.